Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Thursday, February 15th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a podcast that is dedicated to prayer, devotion, scripture reading, and Bible study. The prayer comes from hearing, or the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast, excuse me, is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. There's a lot of great listening over there, over 60 well-curated podcasts, wide, wide variety of topic areas, all covered from a biblical worldview. My brothers and sisters in Christ over there doing some great work for the kingdom. I would encourage you to go on over there. I will guarantee you're going to find something over there to listen to, and there's a really good chance you're going to find more over there to listen to than you actually have time to listen to it in. All right, I want to cue you in on something. I'm feeling better today, and that's great. I actually was able to work today and all, so I'm feeling better today. However, as you can tell, I've got the sniffles. All, all of a sudden, my nose decided it wanted to run crazy, and it's been doing it all day. So I will do my best not to sit here and sniff in the microphone, but there's only so much I can do. Um, even if I had a mute button, I'm not using a soundboard. I'm running straight into a computer. And even if I had a mute button, as you could tell, it wouldn't do great. Um, so I'm sorry. Uh, again, I'm not trying to be gross, um, but I don't want to miss. I don't want to miss another episode. So I will just do the best I can, and we will try to persevere through this, okay? So uh, give me just a minute. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause and blow my nose, and we'll get going. All right, I'm back. And, and to let you know, yeah, I've tried all kinds of teas and whatever else. For some reason today, it just wanted to nut up. Right now, I've got some cinnamon spice tea, and I'm hoping be, that the aromatics of it will help. Um, I'm actually going to try some peppermint tea. I have peppermint tea, which I'm pretty sure will do a much better job. But I'm going to get to that after this. But let's get going. We're going to open up with the fifth day morning prayer. It's called the giver. Let's pray. Creator, upholder, and proprietor of all things. We cannot escape from thy presence and control, nor do we desire to do so. Our privilege is to be under the agency of thy omnipotence, righteousness, wisdom, patience, mercy, and grace. For thou art love with more than parental affection. We admire thy goodness, stand in awe of thy power, abase ourselves before thy purity. It is this discovery of thy goodness alone that can banish our fear. Allure us into thy presence, help us to bewail and confess our sins. We review our past guilt and are conscious of present unworthiness. We bless thee that thy steadfast love and attributes are essential to our happiness and hope. Thou hast witnessed us thy grace and mercy in the bounties of nature, in the fullness of thy providence, in the revelations of scripture, in the gift of thy Son, in the proclamation of the gospel, make us willing to be saved in thy own way, perceiving nothing in ourselves but all in Jesus. Help us not only to receive him, but to walk in him, depend upon him, commune with him, follow him as dear children, imperfect but still pressing forward, not complaining of labor, but valuing rest, not murmuring under trials, but thankful for our state. And by so doing, let us silence the ignorance of foolish men. Amen. All right. And our morning devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, the text for it is from Second Peter 3.18. To him be glory both now and forever. Heaven will be full of the ceaseless praises of Jesus. Eternity, thine unnumbered years shall speed their everlasting course, but forever and forever. To him be glory. Is he not a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek? To him be glory. Is he not king forever? King of kings and lord of lords, the everlasting father? To him be glory forever. Never shall his praises cease. That which was 
bought with blood deserves to last while immortality endures. The glory of the cross must never be eclipsed. The luster of the grave and of the resurrection must never be dimmed. O Jesus, thou shalt be praised forever, long as immortal spirits live, long as the Father's throne endures. Forever, forever, unto thee shall be glory. Believer, you are anticipating the time when you shall join the saints above in ascribing all glory to Jesus. But are you glorifying him now? The apostles' words are, To him be glory both now and forever. Will you not this day make it your prayer? Lord, help me to glorify thee. I am poor. Help me to glorify thee by contentment. I am sick. Help me to give thee honor by patience. I have talents. Help me to extol thee by spending them for thee. I have time. Lord, help me to redeem it, that I may serve thee. I have a heart to feel. Lord, let that heart feel no love but thine, and glow with no flame but affection for thee. I have a head to think. Lord, help me to think of thee and for thee. Thou hast put me in this world for something. Lord, show me what that is, and help me to work out my life purpose. I cannot do much, but as the widow put in her two mites, which was all her living, so, Lord, I cast my time in eternity, too, into thy treasury. I am all thine. Take me and enable me to glorify thee now, in all that I say, and all that I do, and with all that I have. All right, well, our reading for today, hang on, I need some tea. Our reading for today is going to be Exodus 39 and 40, Mark 1, we've moved into Mark, uh, verses 1 through 28, Psalm 35, verses 1 through 16, and Proverbs 9, verses 11 and 12. So Exodus 39. Moreover, from the blue and purple and scarlet material, they made finely woven garments for ministering in the holy place, as well as the holy garments which were for Aaron, just as Yahweh had commanded Moses. He made the ephod of gold and of blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen. Then they hammered out gold sheets and cut them into threads to be woven in with the blue and the purple and the scarlet material and the fine linen, the work of a skillful designer. They made joining shoulder pieces for the ephod. It was joined at its two upper ends. The skillfully woven band which was on it was like its workmanship, of the same material, of gold and of pur blue, purple, sorry, of blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen, just as Yahweh had commanded Moses. They made the onyx stones set all around in filigree settings of gold. They were engraved like the engravings of a signet, according to the names of the sons of Israel. And he placed them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel, just as Yahweh had commanded Moses. He made the breastpiece, the work of a skillful designer, like the workmanship of the ephod, of gold and of blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen. It was square. They made the breastpiece, having been folded double, a span long and a span wide, when folded double. And they mounted four rows of stones on it. The first row was a row of ruby, topaz, and emerald, and the second row a turquoise, a sapphire, and a diamond, and the third row a hyacinth, an agate, and an amethyst, and the fourth row a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. They were set in their filigree settings with gold filigree. The stones were corresponding to the names of the sons of Israel. They were twelve corresponding to their names, engraved with the engravings of a signet, each with its name for the twelve tribes. They made on the breastpiece chains of a twisted work of cords and pure gold. They made two gold filigree settings and two gold rings, and put the two rings on the two ends of the breastpiece. 
Then they put the two gold cords in the two rings at the ends of the breastpiece. They put the other two ends of the two cords on the two filigree settings and put them on the shoulder piece of the ephod at the front of it. They made two gold rings and placed them on the two ends of the breastpiece, on its inner edge, which was next to the ephod. Furthermore, they made two gold rings and placed them on the bottom of the two shoulder pieces of the ephod, on the front of it, close to the place where it joined above the skillfully woven band of the ephod. They bound the breastpiece by its rings to the rings of the ephod with a blue cord, so that it would be on the skillfully woven band of the ephod, and that the breastpiece would not come loose from the ephod, just as Yahweh had commanded Moses. Then he made the robe of the ephod of woven work entirely of blue, and the opening of the robe was at the top in the center, as the opening of a coat of mail, with a binding all around its opening, so that it would not be torn. They made pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet material, and twisted linen on the hem of the robe. They also made bells of pure gold, and put the bells between the pomegranates all around on the hem of the robe alternating a bell and a pomegranate all around on the hem of the robe for the ministry, just as Yahweh had commanded Moses. They made the tunics of finely woven linen for Aaron and his sons, and the turban of fine linen, and the headdresses of the caps of fine linen, and the linen undergarments of fine twisted linen, and the sash of fine twisted linen, and blue and purple and scarlet material, the work of the weaver, just as Yahweh had commanded Moses. They made the plate of the holy crown of pure gold and wrote upon it with engraved writing as found on a signet, holy to Yahweh. They fastened a blue cord to it to fasten it on the turban above, just as Yahweh had commanded Moses. Thus also the service of constructing the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was completed, and the sons of Israel did according to all that Yahweh had commanded Moses, so they did. They brought the tabernacle to Moses, the tent and all its furnishings, its clasps, its boards, its bars, and its pillars and its bases, and the covering of ram skin dyed red, and the covering of porpoise skins, and the screening veil, the ark of the testimony and its poles, and the mercy seat, the table, all its utensils, and the bread of the presence, the pure gold lampstand with its arrangements of lamps and all its utensils, and the oil for the light and the gold altar, and the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense, and the veil, excuse me, for the doorway of the tent, the bronze altar and its bronze gratings, its poles and all its utensils, the laver and its stand, the hangings for the court, its pillars and its bases, and the screen for the gate of the court, its cords and its pegs, and all the equipment for the service of the tabernacle for the tent of meeting, the woven garments for ministering in the holy place, and the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons to minister as priests. Thus according to all that Yahweh had commanded Moses, so the sons of Israel did in all their service. And Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it, just as Yahweh had commanded. So they had done. Then Moses blessed them. Exodus 40 Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month you shall set up the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. You shall place the ark of the testimony there, and you shall screen the ark with the veil. You shall bring in the table, and arrange what belongs on it, and you shall bring in the lampstand, and mount its lamps. Moreover, you shall set the gold altar of incense before the ark of the testimony, and set up the veil for the doorway to the tabernacle. You shall set the altar of burnt offering in front of the doorway of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. You shall set the laver between the tent of meeting and the altar, and put water in it. You shall set up the court all around, and hang up the screen for the gateway of the court. Then you shall take the anointing oil, and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it, and set it apart as holy in all its furnishings, and it shall be holy. 
you shall anoint the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils, and set the altar apart as holy, and the altar shall be most holy. You shall anoint the laver and its stand, and set it apart as holy. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the doorway of the tent of meeting, and wash them with water. You shall put the holy garments on Aaron, and anoint him, and set him apart as holy, that he may minister as a priest to me. You shall bring his sons, and put tunics on them, and you shall anoint them even as you have anointed their father, that they may minister as priests to me, and their anointing will be for them for a perpetual priesthood throughout their generations. Then Moses did according to all that Yahweh had commanded him, so he did. Now it happened in the first month of the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. Moses erected the tabernacle and laid its bases, and set up its boards, inserted its bars, and erected its pillars. He spread the tent over I'm sorry, he spread the tent over the tabernacle and placed the covering of the tent on top of it, just as Yahweh had commanded Moses. Then he took the testimony and put it into the ark, and attached the poles to the ark, and put the mercy seat on top of the ark. He brought the ark into the tabernacle and placed the veil of the screen, and screened off the ark of the testimony just as Yahweh had commanded Moses. Then he put the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the veil. He set the arrangement of bread in order on it before Yahweh, just as Yahweh had commanded Moses. Then he placed the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle. He lighted the lamps before Yahweh, just as Yahweh had commanded Moses. Then he placed the gold altar in the tent of meeting in front of the veil. And he burned fragrant incense on it, just as Yahweh had commanded Moses. Then he placed the screen at the doorway of the tabernacle. He placed the altar of burnt offerings before the doorway of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting, and he offered on it the burnt offering and the meal offering, just as Yahweh had commanded Moses. He placed the laver between the tent of meeting and the altar, and put water in it for washing. From it Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet. When they entered the tent of meeting, and when they approached the altar, they washed just as Yahweh had commanded Moses. He erected the court all around the tabernacle and the altar, and he put up the screen for the gateway of the court. Thus Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of Yahweh filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting, because the cloud had dwelt on it, and the glory of Yahweh filled the tabernacle. Now throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the sons of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day when it was taken up. For throughout all their journeys the cloud of Yahweh was on the tabernacle by day, and there was fire in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel. Mark 1, verses 1 through 28. And give me a second. Needed a little tea. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the region of Judea was going out to him, and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair, and wore a leather belt around his waist, and was eating locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching, saying, After me one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. I baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now it happened that in those days Jesus came from Nazareth to get in Galilee, and was baptized by John in the Jordan. 
and immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice, voice came out of the heavens. You are my beloved son and you, I am well pleased. And immediately the spirit drove him to go out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts and the angels were ministering to him. Now, after John had been delivered up into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. As he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went away to follow him. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and began to teach. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, What do we have to do with you, Jesus the Nazarene? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And throwing him into convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they were arguing among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately the news about him spread everywhere into all the surrounding district of Galilee. And Psalm 35, verses 1 through 16 of David. Contend, O Yahweh, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of shield and large shield. And rise up. Sorry, rise up for my help. Draw also the spear and the battle axe to meet those who pursue me. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Let those be ashamed and dishonored who seek my life. Let those who devise evil against me be turned back and humiliated. Let them be like chaff before the wind, with the angel of Yahweh driving them on. Let their way be dark and slippery, with the angel of Yahweh pursuing them. For without cause they hid their net for me. Without cause they dug a pit for my soul. Let destinations which he does not know come upon him, and let the net which he had which he hid, catch him, let him fall into it in destruction. And my soul shall rejoice in Yahweh. It shall be joyful in his salvation. All my bones will say, Yahweh, who is like you, who delivers the afflicted from him who is too strong for him, and the afflicted and the needy from him who robs him. Malicious witnesses rise up, who ask me of things that I do not know. They repay me evil for good. It is bereavement to my soul. But as for me... When they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting, and my prayer kept returning to my bosom. I walked about as though it were my friend or brother. I bowed down mourning as one who sorrows for a mother. But, as my, but at my stumbling they were glad and gathered themselves together. The smiters whom I did not know gathered together against me. They tore at me and never were silent. Amongst the godless gestures at a feast, they gnashed at me with their teeth. And finally, Proverbs 9, verses 11 and 12. For by, for by me your days will become many, and years of life will be added to you. 
If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. And if you scoff, you will share. I'm sorry. You alone will hear it or will bear it. Wow. Sorry about that. Very, very sorry about that. All right. That is our reading for the day. Thank you so much for coming along with me. I'm sorry for all the sniffling. I'm doing the best I can. Um, this is just really miserable, as I'm sure you know. Um, but I'm glad we got that time together again. As I always say, I, I pray that this time together helps to keep us all saturated in the scripture. I hope you have yourself a wonderful day. I would continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God. And I hope to see you for the morning se- or for the evening segment. Let's go ahead and close out in prayer. The prayer we're going to close out with is called the love of Jesus. Let's pray. O Father of Jesus, help me to approach Thee with deepest reverence, not with presumption, nor with servile fear, but with holy boldness. Thou art beyond the grasp of my understanding, but not beyond that of my love. Thou knowest that I love Thee supremely, for Thou art supremely adorable, good, perfect. My heart melts at the love of Jesus. My brother, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, married to me, dead for me, risen for me. He is mine and I am him, given to him, given to me as well as for me. I am never so much mine as when I am his, or so much lost to myself until lost in him. Then I find my true manhood. But my love is front and is, I'm sorry, but my love is frost and cold, ice and snow. Let his love warm me, lighten my burden, be my heaven. May it be more revealed to me in all its influences, influences, that my love to him may be more fervent and glowing. Let the mighty tide of his everlasting love cover the rocks of my skin and care. I'm sorry, the rocks of my sin and care. Then let my spirit float above those things which they, which had else wrecked my life. Make me fruitful by living to that love, my character becoming more beautiful every day. If traces of Christ's love, artistry be upon me, may he work with me, I'm sorry, may he work on with his divisive brush until the complete image be obtained, and I be made a perfect copy of him, my master. O Lord Jesus, come to me. O Divine Spirit, rest upon me. O Holy Father, look on me in memory for the sake of the of the well-blooded. All right. Amen. Sorry. Well, again, that is our morning segment. Thank you so much for being with me. And again, I hope you are with us for the evening segment. Have a good day. God bless. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Thursday, February 15th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host, and again, want to let you know I am still sick. I'm actually better than I was yesterday, but I've got the sniffles. I mean, that has come on and it's very, very unpleasant. I will do my best not to sniff in your ears, but we're just going to have to deal with it because I didn't want us to have to miss another episode. So what we're doing for the evening segment, obviously, we're moving on in our study of John chapter 18. We're going to finish up this first section about Jesus' betrayal and arrest. Um, we've been looking at Christ's supreme um, abilities, Christ's supreme characteristics that are manifested in these first 11 verses. And we've seen his supreme 
um, courage, his supreme power, his supreme love. And we're looking, going to look at his supreme obedience here in verses 10 and 11 this evening. But what we need to do first is we need to go ahead and open up in prayer. So we're going to open up with, um, if, a prayer from at the throne of grace by McCart, John MacArthur, um, that it's prayers by him that his kids put together. And this one is called waiting patiently for God's perfect justice. And as it always does, it leads in with some text. So I'm going to read that first. The text for today's is from James five, one through 11. Come now you rich weep and howl for your miseries, which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Behold the pay of the laborer who, who moved. I'm sorry, who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of laughter. I'm, I'm sorry, in a day of slaughter. Sorry. You have con condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the field, being patient about it until it gets, till it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke as in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's blessing. I'm sorry, the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. All right, let's pray. Gracious Father of mercies and God of all comfort, the Lord Jesus said that in this world we would have tribulation. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. A slave is not greater than his master, and because the world persecuted Christ, it is by no means a marvel that worldly hearts today will hate and revile those who stand faithfully for the truth he proclaims. Yet we know that Christ has already overcome the world. We know that his coming in glory draws closer with each passing moment. We know that the prophets and redeemed people of old were blessed through the things they suffered. We remember especially the outcome of Job's trials. We know that the righteous suffer and sinners prosper only temporarily. We know that no trouble can assault us without your express permission. Meanwhile, you uphold us with sufficient grace to endure every tribulation, and you make for us a way of escape from every temptation. May we draw patience, courage, and strength from that knowledge. Energize our hearts unto godliness, even as you humble us through our trials. We know that a day of justice is coming, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire to deal out retribution to all. We do not obey the gospel. So enemies of the gospel, including all who are prosperous in this life, but poor towards you, have nothing to look forward to in eternity but judgment. Everything they have ever gained will be eternally lost. As for us, we will behold your face in righteousness. We will be satisfied when we awaken, transformed into living images of Christ. And on top of that, you have elevated us as your own sons and daughters, and made us joint heirs with the Lord Jesus, to whom all glory belongs. 
if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. So, Father, we come as humble and undeserving sinners to worship you, the Most High God, Righteous Judge, Father of glory, Creator and Sovereign of the universe. You are great and greatly to be praised. Your greatness is unsearchable. You are abundant in power. Your wisdom is beyond measure. You, you lift up the humble and cast the wicked down. We bless you for the gospel of peace that delivered our souls from the lowest hell. Thank you for the peace that prevails through the gospel. Peace with you, peace with one another, and peace in our hearts. Still, we stand in desperate need of your mercy with every breath we draw. Our hearts are prone to be faltering and unfaithful. Deliver us from the temptations of this world, the deceits of false religion, the errors of our own ignorance, the weakness of our fallen flesh, and the wiles of the devil. Wash us from our daily sins so that we may worship your worship you with pure hands and a dear heart and a clean heart. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Alright. And our devotion for today for February fifteenth uh, from Thomas Watson's Glorifying God. The title for it is called Scripture, and the text is from Titus. I'm sorry, it's not. Wow, I didn't read that right. It's from Psalm 119, verse 140. Thy word is very pure. The scriptures appear to be the word of God by the matter contained. I'm sorry. Yeah, the scriptures appear to be the word of God by the matter contained in them. The mystery of scripture is so abstruse and profound that no man or angel could have known it had it known it had it not been divinely revealed. That eternity should be born, that he who thunders in the heavens should cry in the cradle, that he who rules the stars should suck the breasts, that the prince of life should die, that the Lord of glory should be put to shame, that sin should be punished to the full, yet pardoned to the full. Who could ever have conceived such a mystery had not the scripture revealed it to us? So for the doctrine of resurrection, that the same body which is crumpled into a thousand pieces should rise again the same individual body else it were a creation not a resurrection how could such a sacred riddle above all human iniquity be known be known had not the scripture made a discovery of it the the matter of scripture is so full of goodness ju justice and sanctity that it would be that it could be breathed from none but god the holiness of it shows it to be of God. The book of God is a crystal stream flowing from the fountain of life. It is so pure that it purifies everything else. The scripture presses holiness as no other book ever has. It bids us live soberly, righteously, and godly. Titus 2.12 Soberly in the acts of temperance, righteously in acts of justice, godly in acts of real I'm sorry, in acts of zeal and devotion. All right. Well, that is our devotion for this morning, or for this evening. And, well, sorry, trying to get my bookmark back in there. All right. Well, like I said, we're going to be continuing on with our study of John chapter 18. And uh, so we're wrapping up this section um, about Jesus' betrayal and arrest. We're wrapping this part up. And so... Like we've talked about, we saw clearly 
that we've seen clearly Jesus manifest. Well, okay, let's back up a little bit. Sorry. Let me back up a little bit. So we've seen Jesus and, and, and there's, I, I, I truly believe there's a number of things that were being done here. We've seen from John chapter 13 that Jesus has tried to elevate and excuse me, I need some tea here has tried to elevate, elevate, lift up, strengthen the faith of these disciples, um, particularly the 11. They've been, he's been trying to do that. He's trying to strengthen them because he knows this is going to be tough on them, this whole thing. And it already has been. And again, as we've seen before, part of a big part of that is because they're still kind of focused on the worldly, the fleshly, um, and I don't mean that so much in an ugly sense. It's just the fact that they're coming out of a culture, a culture that still exists today within the Jew Jewish community um, that has this belief and had the belief then that the Messiah was a temporal king, that the Messiah was coming within the world. When I say temporal, I'm talking within the world is coming within the world as a military leader um, or such a leader that he is able to just kind of, you know, stomp on everybody around Israel and thus provide perfect peace and safety for Israel off into eternity, physically on earth. They don't, at least from what I've seen scripturally and what I've seen from modern day Jews, and I've told you before, particularly Ben Shapiro, who I love to listen to, um, they don't see the Messiah as being needed for spiritual for any kind of spiritual salvation or spiritual help. Um, they still believe that as long as they do they, their best at executing the Mosaic law, they can earn their, themselves a way into heaven. They, they have that idea. Um, so that's what the disciples are coming out of. And as much as they believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, they still believe he's coming to physically free Israel from Rome and anybody else around them. So, you know, needless to say, here is this guy they think is going to free them all of a sudden talking about that he's going to be arrested, unjustly tried and murdered by the worst way. I mean, again, when he when he talks about how he's going to be murdered, this isn't just that he's he's going to face the firing squad or the gas chamber or anything like this. Um, of course, they didn't have any of those things back then. The thing is, the way he's going to be crucified, the, the way he's going to be murdered and he makes it clear to them that that was the punishment for the lowest of the low. So this one that is supposed to be king is going to be punished that way. So this is where they're coming from. And needless to say, you know, it's already kind of fallen down around them. But Jesus has known that 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 this is going to be even worse. When he go when he gets arrested, it is truly going to try their faith. Um, so we've seen that. We've seen Jesus constantly try to lift them up. We even saw that. Um, and I truly believe that was the case in the high priestly prayer, John 17, that we, we realize he's not just praying this quietly in a corner. He's praying it out loud in front of the 11. And I, and I truly believe that's being done to again, continue to lift them up, to strengthen their faith. Um, and that's the thing. And I agree with Dr. MacArthur that, that I don't know how strong their faith was because he gets arrested and they scatter. And I, and I get that, but at the same time, there was enough faith that when Jesus rose and 
told Mary Magdalene, go tell them I'm here and go tell them I'm heading to Galilee and I'll meet them there. That they went and they met him. And a number of them, not just the 11, went and saw him. They had enough faith to believe he would be there and went and saw him. And thus it was enough faith, enough continuing belief that they had not fallen away. Again, we talked about that last night. Christ's supreme love that he won't let go of any that the father gave him. So he didn't let them fall away as much as their faith was struggling, that they turn around and that faith exploded particularly when the Holy Spirit indwelt them and that thus they carried the gospel to the ends of the known earth. So again, they maybe struggled, but it's still there. But I, I, like I've, like I've said over the last couple of nights, I truly believe that Jesus handled this, the, the, the arrest and all that. And the way he did to, to do the exact same thing, to continue to strengthen them. Um, and I think had he not handled this this way, they'd have probably run, they'd have probably scattered and not come back. So again, we see Jesus's courage, as we talked about. He goes out to the Garden of Gethsemane. He goes out at night, he goes out at night where, of course, they're more likely to arrest him because they're trying to prevent any kind of, of a riot or anything like that. He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is kind of isolated. Um, but he goes there where Judas knows he has a tendency to go. So basically he's setting himself up for them to come arrest him. Um, he's not going and hiding. He's not doing any of that. And when he, when, when he perceives that they're coming into the garden, he goes out to them. He goes forth to them and doesn't even let them get a word in. He, he is the first one to say anything. Whom do you seek? Who are you looking for? You know, who are you looking for? And then we see his supreme power manifest because they say, they tell him, they say, Jesus Nazarene. And he says to them, I am he, or he says, I am. He proclaims the name of God. And we see it knock them to the ground that the word of God made flesh proclaiming the name of God knocks them to the ground. But then we see his love in the fact that he, he again queries them, who are you looking for? And they say again, Jesus the Nazarene. And he's clear. Listen, I already told you that I am he. If you seek me, let these go away. He's like, listen, you came for me. Leave these folks alone. You, you, you don't have a warrant for them anyways. Um, not that they use warrants back there necessarily. But you don't have a warrant for them anyways. You don't have probable cause. Leave them alone. And, and it was a reasonable concern. Because like I said last night, there had been uprisings before Jesus's time. And in a number of those, not only did they take the guy leading the up, uprising, but they took many of his disciples as well, and they would slaughter all of them. So the movement would completely die. Well, Jesus is taking steps here. He's manifesting that love. And like I told you, that love, I, I, I truly feel that love is twofold. He's showing the love for the Father and that he's protecting those who the Father has given them. He won't let them go but his love for the 11 as well, that he's protecting them because he knows he's been the buffer for them. Like I've said, he's been the buffer for, for, for them. All the attacks have come against Jesus in his ministry. Well, he's about to be gone. And not only are they, they're going to be potentially physical attacks, but there are going to be spiritual and emotional attacks that are going to be made against them. And so, you know, he, like we said, he made those requests in the high priestly prayer to provide them spiritual protection. 
and to provide them sancti sanctification. So what we're getting into today is we're looking at Christ's supreme obedience. And this is in verses 10 and 11 of John 18. Let me read them. Simon Peter then, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear, and the slave's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put the sword into the sheath. The cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? So, and, and honestly, I didn't pull up all the parallel verses. Um, I'm going to paraphrase them as we go along, and I, I may not remember exactly which, which gospel they're in, but you can go back and forth between... Um, I know Matthew and Mark, but maybe even in Luke, I think it's in Luke as well to get this. So, you know, Peter, Simon Peter, he's seen Jesus manifest his power and knock these guys to the ground. But you got to also realize Peter is still, again, like I already brought up, still has this worldly, this temporal outlook on the Messiah's purpose. So he's still looking at this as this is going to be my worldly savior. And, and yes, I know I've heard him say he's going to be crucified. He's going to be this, that, and the other, but I need to protect him. This is, you know, this is Simon and you know, it's easy to bash Simon, but I don't know how many of us wouldn't do the same thing. Um, assuming we were brave, brave enough to do the same thing. Now, of course, this is Simon Peter, who's going to turn around and deny him here shortly. Um, here in John 18, we'll see it where he denies him. Um, but at the same time, this is Peter manifesting his fleshly, his worldly focus and his hot-headedness that he jerks out the sword. And, and remember, Jesus had told them to come up with swords and they said they had two. And he said, well, that's enough. So he grabs one of them, jerks it out and swings at the high priest slave's head. Now, he's a fisherman. I doubt his aim was very good. That's probably why he only cut off the right ear. Because my guess is he wasn't swinging at the right ear. He was swinging at that, that big melon that was the head of this guy. And I'm not trying to insult Malchus. I'm just saying that swinging at a head, especially like a head like mine, which is huge, is going to be a whole lot easier to hit the head than hit the ear. So my guess is just Peter is that bad at swinging a sword. Of course, being a fisherman, he's not a trained swordsman. Duh. You know, I mean, that's kind of a no-brainer for you and me. He's not a trained swordsman. I don't think he was trying to cut off the ear. Um, he may have been trying to behead him for all we know. Um, but but in any case, he's responding to that still worldly outlook. But then we see Jesus's response here. And I'm going to read the one in John. And I may actually go look up the others here because it's kind of niggling at me. But the response in John. So Jesus goes back to Peter. Put the sword into the sheep. Basically saying, put that thing away. And then he goes on. The cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? He's being very, very clear that the path the Father has set me on should I really be disobedient and turn from it? And obviously he's saying that question. The Greek there is such that it's an expected no answer. An answer of no. I get, let me put that, not a no answer as in no, not giving an answer, but an answer of no. The, the, or or um, shall I not drink it? The answer would be no. Me, me, meaning that no, you should drink it. You should drink, meaning should be obedient to it. Um, but, you know, so 
we see this kind of thing and you know here's jesus i mean he's been clear from day one i mean like like i talked about he's gone into the garden and what did i say about that i mean just now he went in there and set himself up to be arrested set himself up to be arrested knowing that they were going to come. And we even see in Luke where Jesus turns around and heals this guy. He heals Malchus. He heals the ear. John doesn't speak of that, but Luke, the gospel of Luke speaks of him healing Malchus. So he's knocked him to the ground and he heals this man, repairs his ear. But, they're still going to arrest him. He's still being obedient. I mean, he's manifesting the power of God right there in front of him. But of course, he, he makes the claim. And um, Luke 22, verse 53. Um, well, actually, I'll start back in 52. Have you come out with swords and clubs as against a robber? While I was with you daily in the temple, you did not stretch out your hands against me. But this hour and the authority of darkness are, are yours. He's making very, very clear that what you are doing, you are doing by the power of Satan. He's making that very, very clear. Again, these are temple officers. These are people that are supposed to be. Now, the Gentiles are one thing, the 200 soldiers, but they're there to support the temple officers. The temple officers are the ones coming to arrest him. These are people that are supposed to be ritualistically clean. They're supposed to be pure and doing the work of God. But he's calling them evil. He's calling them flat out evil. And he's making really, really clear how stupid they look because they're running around coming after this guy who has been there in their midst for years now, teaching and preaching and, you know, been, being more than available for them to... Um, for them to have arrested or apprehended or even just talked to, but they wouldn't. But they're coming at night. They're coming at night. And they're coming like they're bringing in thieves. They're coming like it. it uh, this this is like a, um, a cert team or a SWAT team coming bashing in to arrest a little old lady with that that no record of weapons or anything else you know they it would be them rushing in tackling her to the ground tasing her to death and then putting her in hand and feet shackles that are chained behind her kind of thing i mean this is what jesus is calling them out but he's making very very clear they're coming in the power of the darkness but at the same time is he walking away from them i mean he's shown the ability to remove himself from these times we see it we see it in nazareth where his own people the people he grew up around wanted to turn around and they they were going to try to kill him push him over the cliff and he disappears we've seen it when people wanted to stone him and he removed himself from the situation again same kind of thing um but we even see jesus 
And um, when, again, same thing, Peter tried to do it. This is over in Matthew 26. And he struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. Verse 52. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Therefore, how will the scriptures be fulfilled, which say that it must happen this way? And then, of course, we see the same thing that we saw in Luke. Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would against a, against a robber? So again, he makes very, very clear here that he could, and I actually said this the other night, when he talks about, he will talk about if I, if he appealed to the father, that the father would put at his disposal more than 12 legions of angels. Let's put this in your and I, and, and a vernacular you and I understand. Basically, Jesus is saying, if I wished and it was within the father's will, don't you think I could nuke the planet? Don't you think I could turn the entire earth to glass? Basically, he's saying, he's again making clear, as I've said before, that it is very, very clear that he is allowing this to happen. He has come out here intentionally. He has placed himself where he is in the Garden of Gethsemane in expectation of being arrested there because that is God's will. He is being obedient to it. We even saw um, back, and I don't, I don't have the verses, but back when Peter um, makes the clear testimony, Jesus has been asking, who, who do the people say that I am? And finally goes, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter goes, you're the Christ, the son of God. Um, it was something like that. It was something along those lines. And, you know, that's when he says, this didn't come from you. This came from the Holy Spirit. And he calls him Peter, the rock, or Peter, which means rock, Petra. But then he goes on and on this rock, of course, he's not referring to Peter. That's where some twisting happens within, within certain churches. But what Jesus says there is on this rock, I will build my church on the gospel, on the fact that he is the Christ, the son of God his church will be built. But then he immediately has to rebuke Peter because he he goes on to state that he is going to be going to Jerusalem. He will be arrested there. He will be tried, unjustly convicted, and will be crucified. And Peter, being in his worldly mind, like we talked about, he whips out the sword. You know, Jesus has already manifested some power. I'm going to defend him you know, and, and wax off Malchus's ear. Well, back at that point, he had to proclaim to, you know, Peter going, no, 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 this will never happen to you. And Jesus goes very clearly, get behind me, Satan. Because he makes very, very clear at that point that, that Peter's minds are on mind is on the things of the world, not the will of the father. Well, that's what Jesus is saying here as well, is making clear as well, here in verse 11 here of John 18, the cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? Basically, he's looking at Peter and go, put that thing away. Am I not supposed to be obedient to my Father? With the implication of, of course I'm going to be obedient to my Father. Again, as we've talked about throughout this Passion Week, 
they didn't want to have to deal with Jesus until after the Passover because they knew how crazy that was. And with the near million people that were going to be in Jerusalem around that time, they didn't want the kind of riot that was going to happen. But it had to happen on the, on the, on the Passover because Jesus was that final Passover sacrifice. So he brought about the triumphal entry on the cult, fulfilling the prophecy making it very clear to them. And, and of course, the people proclaimed that here is the king. Here's the king of Israel. Um, so it forces the hand on purpose. I mean, Jesus is doing this on purpose. Jesus proceeds to, you know, cause a ruckus in the temple. He continues to preach and make very, very clear that the Pharisees that that they're they are false teachers and this is a false religion. He throws them under the bus as as he needed to, making it even more so that they've got to do something, or they're going to lose their place, and that's more important to them than actually being obedient to God. And then he places himself out here after Judas has run off and he's told him to go. He places himself here in the Garden of Gethsemane where he knows Judas is going to come. He is being obedient in all facets of this. And he manifests that supreme obedience. We have to understand this. It's very, very easy for us to sit here and read this and kind of read it in a vacuum and go, well, yeah, but he, he was, he was God in man's form. So he's basically God. So he knows he's going to be resurrected. It's, it's just not that big a deal. And so we, we kind of go through it, you know, kind of, kind of cruise through it. He's showing this supreme and why I think the, the, the adjective here, supreme obedience is, is, a, is abundantly accurate is he is truly man. He's truly God, but he is truly man. Meaning he knows exactly what he's about to suffer. And I'm going to state them again, because I want us to understand this. He knew he was about to be reviled by those who he should have been revi- who he could have been reviling. He's about to be reviled by those who should have been worshiping him and honoring him. He was about to be beaten to the point that he was physically unrecognizable as himself. He was about to be whipped to the point that it tore his back up open so bad that you could see the bones. He was about to have a crown shoved down on his head that had thorns that that were, you know, a couple inches long that jabbed into his scalp and his skull. He was then going to have the big long beam of his cross dropped across his shoulders on top of the wounds from the whipping to carry it outside the city where he was then going to be that cross would be nailed together. He was going to be nailed onto it with these big, almost railroad spike sized nails through his wrists and his feet into the wood and then feel as they lifted him up and dropped the pole into the hole where he jerk on those nails in a position where you can't get comfortable in any way, shape or form. And then the sins of all who would believe are going to be dumped on him. 
And then the wrath of God against those sins would be poured out on him and God would turn from him. He knows all of this is coming, yet he continues to walk face forward into it. That's why I believe the supreme obedience is manifested here. Even here, as we looked there in Matthew, he could have called 12 legions of angels and wiped mankind off the face of the earth. And, and honestly, we, he would be justified in doing so. We deserve that. Outside of the grace of God, we deserve that. But he's obedient. And he accepts being arrested, even knowing what's coming, which is a manifestation of his supreme love in being obedient to the Father's plan. All right, that's going to do it for this evening. I thank you for spending this time with me. I continue to pray that our time together in the Word helps to shape us all and shape our walk so that we become more and more like Christ. Let's go ahead and close out with the fifth day evening prayer. It's called protection. Let's pray. O Lord God, thou art our preserver, governor, savior, and coming judge. Quieten our souls to call upon thy name. Detach us from the influence of the flesh and the senses. Impress us with the power of faith. Promote in us spirituality of mind that will render our services acceptable to thee and delightful and profitable to ourselves. Bring us into that state which attracts thine eye and prepare us to receive the proofs of thy love. Show us our danger that we may fly to thee for refuge. Make us sensible of our sin's disease, that we may value the good physician. Placard to us the cross, that it may slay the enmity of our hearts. Help us to be watchful over our ways, jealous over our tempers, diligent over our hearts. When we droop, revive us. When we loiter, quicken us. When we go astray, restore us. Possess us with more of that faith, which is the principle of all vital godliness. May we be rich in faith, be strong in faith, live by faith, walk by faith, experience the joy of faith, do the work of faith, hope through faith, perceiving nothing in ourselves. May we find in the Savior wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. Amen. All right, again, I hope you have yourself a wonderful evening, and I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Have a good night. God bless. 